There's a line in the movie, Hoosiers, you remember that movie, right? It's a movie about Gene Hackman, he plays this high school basketball coach. He takes this uh, team from this little bitty town, takes them all the way to the state title, amazing story. But early in the movie, before Gene proves himself, one of the dads, who is not too enamored with how he's doing, comes up and says to him, you know, I don't know where they found you, but they must have been digging the bottom of the barrel when they did. So I hope you're not thinking that this morning. I believe God has great things for us. If uh, It took you a minute to get that, I guess. Okay. If you'll stand and open, we'll read God's word a little bit. Romans chapter 3. Let's read a few words. I'm just going to start in verse 21. Read for a little while. After spending, oh, a couple chapters here on how man is sinful and no one is good and no one seeks God and no one calls on God, Paul gets to verse 21. But now, a righteousness. That's a right standing with God. A righteousness from God, which means it's apart from the law, has been made known or available, to which the law and the prophets testify. Now, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who would believe. There's no difference, none. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And part of that process is they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that as we, as we open your word, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart and you would mesh those two together, your word in our hearts. Speak to us. Draw us unto you. Reform our hearts, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you may know, and as Bill mentioned a few minutes ago, you should have this marked on your calendar if you don't, but we're rapidly approaching Reformation Sunday, or Reformation Day, I should say. It's coming up on October 31st. If you've got your iPhone with you, you want to mark that, you might go ahead and do that. In fact, as he said, we're only a few years away from the 500th anniversary of Reformation Day. That's the day Martin Luther, then just a very young monk, went up the hill, and we, as we uh, would say, he nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Though my son, who's, who's been there, went there on study abroad program, tells me, you know, Dad, it's very unlikely he actually took a handful of nails and a big stack of paper and a hammer and went up the hill and nailed them to the actual door itself. It's actually much more likely that beside the door was the community bulletin board, if you will. Or maybe it actually hung on the door, but he attached those theses to the bulletin board, the community, the exchange of information. He's a monk. They're studying God's word. And as they have thoughts and as they have insights, that's where they post them so that other people can see them. It's the, it's the Facebook of the day, if you will. So as I spent time with the Lord this week, seeking his face and where he would have us go with the Reformation and why it's important to us, he gave me this simple but very powerful thought, truth. 
that at the heart of the Reformation, when you break it all down, at the heart of the Reformation is a reformation of the heart. Listen, don't think for a second that God brought all this change about simply to change the church, the little C church. He brought it about to change us, to change his believers, to change his people, so that my heart would be reformed, my heart would be changed, so that your heart would be changed. What does it even mean, reformation, to be reformed? Think a box of Legos. It's been assembled to to disassemble it, to reform it, to rebuild it into a different shape, into a different form. That's what God does with our lives. Think think computer disk to to be reformatted, to be completely wiped clean. That's what he does. Might help you to have just a glimpse, as you may already know, but so if we're going from one form in the little C church, not the big C, not the body of Christ, but here on earth, the organizations we have here. What form was it in such that it needed to be reformed and experience reformation? Well, it might surprise you to learn that, A, eternal security was available to all. Access to the Lord God, available to all. Forgiveness of sin, check. Got that one too. Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Sounds like a church you might want to be in. And that's where you want to dig a little deeper in that dreaded theology. A word nobody likes to dig into. You'd want to ask the question, how? How was eternal security available? How was access to God available? How was forgiveness of sins available? They were all available to anyone the leaders believed, had served enough and worked enough and repeated enough. And of course, little money goes a long, long way. They were very focused on that. They needed money. The church needed money desperately at the time of Martin Luther. Because at this time, there was a new pope, and he wanted to remodel his chapel, even though it was only 30, 40 years old. seems he wasn't too enamored with the gold stars on the blue background on the ceiling in his chapel. And he was confident that his friend, Michelangelo, could paint a much better ceiling than the ones the original builders just 30 years before had put up. Now, if you haven't had your house painted lately, things haven't changed much, and painters don't come cheap. Still drowning in a load of debt, From the original construction just 30 years before, the church needed funds. It needed a huge influx of funds, of cash. And they decided that the best way to do that, to create this, even though they were already selling indulgences, they put on a mass marketing campaign to sell indulgences. For the right amount of money, you could get almost anything you wanted. You could get your eternal security. You could get forgiveness of your sins. You could buy the eternal security of a family member. You could even buy the eternal security of a dead family member. That's how bad they needed the money. And it's into this time that the Lord God raises up a young man, Martin Luther, to be the catalyst for reforming his church. And I don't know that Martin set out so much to reform the church. I mean, early, early, early on, 
as he began to see these principles in God's word that Bill read from this morning, as he began to see those things, I don't think he set out to change the church at all. I think he had this tremendous load of guilt in his life. He had a heart problem. His heart was aching. He hated sin. He hated the condemnation that came into his life when he sinned. And the more he examined his heart, the more evil he found there. It's like Paul wrote, Romans 3, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. I think Martin reads those words and he sees his life and he's trying to figure out what is going on. Deeply troubled. No matter what he did, hour after hour in a confession booth, year after year of service to the church as a monk, the sin doesn't go away. The condemnation would not go away. Is that you? Oh man, I pray that's not you. Are you living a life that sin weighs you down? That sin that's well in the past burdens you. It breaks your heart. If you're there and you're trying to appease the guilt of sin in your life with service and work and doing good deeds and, and giving money, your heart needs to be reformed. Your life needs reformation. What Martin finally discovered, as we read at the beginning, is that we gain as a believer in the Lord Jesus. We gain righteousness. And by righteousness, I mean a right standing with God. We gain that righteousness not by doing righteous deeds, but by being declared righteous by the one who himself was righteous. Change for Martin from the outside in As hard as he tried, it wasn't working. It didn't work for me. It's not going to work for you. It's like washing a pig. You can clean it up really good. You can put a nice bow on it. You can paint its toenails. At the end of the day, it's still a pig. It hasn't changed. If the Lord Jesus is not in your heart, changing your heart from the inside out, your life, your life is not going to change. When the Lord Christ comes into your life, your life then experiences reformation, true reformation. So it's this issue of sin, ways and ways and ways on Martin. He began to ask himself a question. If I hate sin so much, and I do, And I hate the condemnation that comes after I sin. Why do I keep sinning? Others were preaching about freedom of the will. You have this freedom to choose what you're going to do. And Martin's looking at his life and he's like, I don't have any freedom. I'm in bondage. I'm in bondage to my will. There's no freedom for me. What he discovered was that you can choose, yeah, you can choose to do what you want. The problem is you can't choose what your wants are. 
Those are hardwired in your heart. Those come from our nature. The harder we tried not to sin, the more he sinned. How often he must have read that passage in Romans 7 where Paul says, man, I don't get it. I don't understand. The very thing that I want to do, I don't do. And I find myself doing the very thing that I hate. Sin, he found, is much deeper than just a bad choice. It goes way, way deeper than that. It's rooted in my heart. It's rooted in my nature. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 14. I'll start in 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, notice Notice James doesn't say if, it's when, it's going to happen. When tempted, no one should say, wow, God is tempting me. Don't say that. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But, so where does my temptation come from then? Get this visual image that James paints for us here. But each one is tempted. When? When by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. That's what leads us to sin. It's our own evil desire that drags us around. Close your eyes for a second. Get a visual image of that picture. Dragged around and enticed. If you're my age, you don't have to think back very far. You don't have to look back very far in your life and you can see, wow, man, was my own evil desire ever dragging me around at that time in my life? Indeed it was. It's hard to see it when you're in it. You look back. You see it. Thankfully for the believer, God has a way of reconciling all this, that we can maintain our right standing with him at the same time that as humans and as with a sin nature that we, that we sin. It's not by buying indulgences. It's not by serving in the church. It's not by saying some phrases over and over. If you believe that somehow you're going to do enough good to outweigh the bad, that's not going to happen. That's what Martin found. That's what Martin discovered is that in God's word, there's a way for a right standing with God. There's a way for a reconciliation of, go back to those verses we read before, standing that I have. Let's go back to Romans 3. Let's go back to those verses we read before. Romans 3, pick it back up in 22. This righteousness, this right standing that we have from God, well, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are, and are what? And are justified freely by his grace. See, God's solution for my sin, so that I can maintain my right standing while at the same time I'm going to sin, is justification. Now, before we even talk about what justification is, look in in the passage. What does it cost us? What does it cost you to get justified freely? Zip, nada. It's it's part of the package. When you invite Christ into your life and and you gain that right standing, you are justified. It's not like buying a $30,000 car and then they want to charge you another two or three hundred for the floor mats. It's not like buying a $400,000 house and, oh, we need another $400 for the 
for the window screens. I mean, no, no, this is, this is justification. This is freedom. It's all part of the package. You get it at the instant of salvation. It's yours now. So well, what is it? What is justification? Now, I've got to admit, many, many times I have taught that justification is, to be justified is, just as if I'd never sinned. Okay? Just as if, justified is just as if I'd never sinned. That sounds right. Cool, right? It's easy to remember. I use it. I still use it today. But let me tell you, that definition of justification in my life is woefully short. Woefully short of what God actually did in my life when he justified me. I teach a Bible study to teenagers on Monday nights. And a few years back, we studied Romans. God began to open my eyes to the magnitude of the justification that took place at my salvation. Because when you think of just as if I'd never sinned, then justification becomes a past tense. You're only looking as what has happened in the past. To truly be justified, which is what does happen at salvation, means God sees me just as if there was no sin in my life. Even though there was sin in my life, And there is sin in my life, and unfortunately, there will be sin in my life. That's the magnitude of true justification. Unless you think that's just some some issue of semantics, let me give you an illustration to show you the difference in the magnitude of just what's going on in the past versus what's going on in the whole thing. Suppose your spouse comes to you, and they confess Dear, I've been unfaithful to you. I have. In the past, I've been unfaithful to you. Please forgive me. Please accept my apology. Please love me again. And you, in your grace and mercy, choose to do that and accept them in. Now, that's, that's justified. You're, you're seeing them as if that in the past didn't happen. But now suppose that same thing happens, only now you know You have some knowledge. You knew all about it. You knew when it was happening. Not only did you know when it was happening, you know it's still happening. And you have the ability to see into the future, and you know it's going to happen again. And yet, even in that environment, you say, I forgive you. I wipe that slate clean. See, that's an entirely different magnitude. Friends, that's what complete justification is. If your view of forgiveness of God, of his forgiveness of your sins, is only a past issue, then your your view needs to be reformed. Your heart, your life, as you're dealing with your sin, needs Reformation. Undoubtedly for some, though, this is a big struggle because sin, man, sin just weighs us down. It just, it just weighs us down. The condemnation that sin brings in our lives weighs us down. 
I believe in Martin's case, it drove him crazy. I mean, the little bit of reading, just a very, very small bit of reading I did, tells me he's attempting to understand why he's continuing to sin. He's attempting to understand why he would choose to do this early, early on now. It's driving him crazy. Personally, I believe that what excites the enemy the most when we sin is not, I mean, I think he likes it that it breaks our fellowship with God, doesn't break our relationship with God, but when I sin, when I choose to sin and I proceed into that, it breaks my fellowship with God. And his Holy Spirit who lives in my heart brings conviction in my heart. As I respond properly to that conviction and I claim 1 John, confess my sin, He's faithful, he forgives me, he cleanses me. That break in the fellowship isn't what really excites Satan, I, I believe. I mean, I think he likes it because he doesn't want us in fellowship with God anyway. But since it doesn't break our relationship, it doesn't accomplish what he would like to accomplish. What really excites the enemy when I choose to sin... <laughs> is that for the next umpteen gazillion years, he gets to remind me of my failure. He gets to tell me over and over and over, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't serve that way. You can't teach that class. You can't lead that class. You can't start a Bible study at work. You can't start a Bible study in your subdivision. Holy cow, suppose they find out about your sin. What's going to happen then, leader of a Bible study? Like Martin, we not only find ourselves continuing to sin, but we find ourselves living under the condemnation that sin brings, unfortunately. So as believers, as believers, here's how I think of it. When, when I choose to sin, I hear, I hear two voices. Oh, if you're a teenager, you hear three because you hear mom's voice too. But for most of us, we hear, we hear two voices. We hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and we hear the voice of the enemy. The voice of the Holy Spirit lives in our lives. He brings conviction. As we respond to his conviction and confess our sin, he cleans our slate. But we also hear the voice of the enemy. He brings condemnation into our life. He tells us that we're not worthy to serve him. He tells us that we're not worthy to walk with him. And he tells us that surely God is going to punish us. Mm. Conviction from the Holy Spirit designed to bring us back into a proper walk with God. Condemnation from the enemy designed to destroy our sweet fellowship and walk with the Lord God. From what I could tell, it's this condemnation eaten at Martin, maybe more than anything else, trying to overcome this load of condemnation that drove him deeper and deeper into God's word, where he revealed, where he found the truths of freedom in Christ and righteousness only in Christ. Does the enemy have you living a life of condemnation? Have you made mistakes in the past that weigh heavy on your heart, that weigh you down? 
If so, your life, your heart needs reformation. You too. God has an answer for that. Let's go back to Romans one more time. Romans 3. Read a couple of these verses one more time. We'll pick it up in verse 24. Romans 3. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a, what does your Bible say? Depends on which version you have. I have the NIV. Mine happens to say, sacrifice of atonement. Now, if you have the King James or you have the New American Standard, you won't see those words, sacrifice of atonement. You would see the word, I love this word. It's one of my favorite words. The only place I believe, I think, I think it's the only place in the English version of God's word where it appears. He is the propitiation. Amazing word. Amazing word. This word, I'm telling you, this word transformed my life. It's, it didn't have anything to do with my salvation. Didn't know about it then. Didn't have anything to do with as I learned to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and dig into his word. But it transformed my life once I learned the truth of this, this propitiation, this sacrifice of atonement. It means, it means God's anguish and all the results of my sin are covered. They are completely covered. It's hard for us to grasp that. We realize that Christ died on the cross and, 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 and he did that for the forgiveness of my sin. And even if we grasp the justification, okay, that's past, present, future, my sins are forgiven, we have a really hard time with the condemnation part where we're reminded over and over by the enemy, God's going to get you. He's not going to let that get away. If you're buried under a load of condemnation from some past mistake, some past sin, let me share an illustration with you in closing. Suppose my son's in his car. He stopped at a red light, bottom of a hill. Truck is coming down the hill from behind him. Dump truck loaded with boulders. Driver applies the brakes in plenty of time, but the brakes fail. He hits the rear end of my son's car. He pushes it out into the intersection where he is, where he is T-boned, and my son tragically dies. Subsequent investigations would prove that the dump truck had problems the day before with the brakes, and it had been taken to the shop to be worked on. But the owner of the company needed that piece of equipment on the road. There was a customer that needed some product moved, and the owner came in and said, put a driver in that truck and get it on the road. It worked yesterday. It'll work today. Well, in America, we call that libel. And that means you're going to have a lawsuit, right? Those things take time. So a couple years later, there's a knock at my door. I open the door one night, and my attorney walks in, and he says, George, I have, I have good news for you. All the appeals have been exhausted. Full legal payment has been made. And he hands me a check. It's just a piece of paper. 
That's all it is, a piece of paper. You put as many zeros on it as you want to, okay? It's, it's just a piece of paper. He shakes my hand. He walks out the door. Do you not think for one moment, for an instant, not, not even an instant, would I tear open that door, run down that driveway, and say, you can have your check back. I want my son back. I want my son. See, I have in my hand full legal payment as prescribed by the law. I do. What I don't have is my anguish quenched. Okay? Are, are you in that spot living as a believer, knowing, yeah, I know, I know, I know my sin's forgiven, but surely the anguish of the Father is not completely quenched. Let me tell you, it is. That's what propitiation means. It means that sin, that past sin, that Satan, that the enemy reminds you of, that weighs you down. Yeah, the legal price has been paid and the full anguish of the Father is extinguished. And he welcomes you into sweet fellowship. Don't let that sin weigh you down. So as we face Reformation Sunday, or Reformation Day as it's coming, my prayer for you is that in your heart, you would have Reformation. If the Lord Jesus doesn't live in your heart, oh man, we would love to talk to you. Please go to David. Please come to me afterwards. Man, we would love to speak to you. If you have a burden of sin that you are carrying, condemnation from the enemy, convinced that the Father's anguish has not been extinguished, oh, Please let us know. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. Our heart's desire is that your heart would experience reformation. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Father, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have righteousness. We have been justified. We have propitiation. I pray, Father, for sweet fellowship in Christ's name. Amen.